This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Start asking yourself why, and not just once. Ask it three to five times to really get at the core. And once you start doing that, you suddenly realize, wait a minute, I've just identified some things that maybe I don't have to do. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about escaping the cult of never enough. Yes, as a part of our society, we've all heard the sayings, work hard and anything is possible. If you put in the effort, you'll achieve true success. But how do you know when to slow down? How do you know when to enjoy the fruits of your labor? How do we escape the idea of never enough? To help us answer these difficult questions, I've invited Harvard MBA and financial well-being expert Manisha Takor on the show today. Manisha has worked in financial services for more than 30 years with an emphasis on women's economic empowerment and financial well-being. She has been featured in a wide range of publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and CNN. She's also the author of the new book, Money Zen, The Secret to Finding Your Enough which is out now. Welcome to the show, Manisha. Andy, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Well, this is an important conversation. A lot of people who are listening to the show kind of struggle with, you know, I, I want to build that wealth, but I also want to be happy. How do I find that intersection? So let's discuss this a little bit. Why do we think more is the solution to most of our financial problems as human beings? You know, there's this, this subtle drumbeat that is pervasive throughout society that if you are feeling any kind of angst in your life, the answer is not to subtract, it's to add. It's to do more, buy more, earn more, be more. And the problem with that is there's no finish line, right? I mean, more goes on forever, subtraction actually has a finish line where you've got nothing. Now, we're not, I'm not saying people should head there. But in my research, what I have found is that it's a combination of a variety of factors, some personal, some cultural, some societal, and some even evolutionary biological that come together to, in this particular time in modern society, push that desire for more, which has been, you know, present throughout all of mankind, up to a tipping point where it has become toxic for many of us. With regard to working families, you know, what areas are you seeing people press for more to solve our financial problems? Well, the biggest one is time. Everyone I talk to is busy or super busy or crazy busy, or just so overwhelmed. You know, those are the answers that I seem to get from most working parents these days. And it's true. And a big part of that is because the intersection between what we have to do and what we want to do is where you balance your emotional 
and your financial obligations. But because we're encouraged to do so much more, and there's actually kind of an honor in being busy, that we have in between a whole bunch of stuff that isn't supporting our financial health, isn't increasing our emotional wealth, but is sucking up our time. And that's the biggest thing that I am hearing, busyness. What are the negative effects of continuing this more and more and more train over the long period of time for people? You know, at the end of the day, what I've observed is some combination of the following. The first one that often is the big whopper and wake up call for most people is a health crisis. And that can be because you are not taking care of yourself or it just comes from out of the blue or even the intense work that you are doing is leading your body to become so inflamed that it becomes a Petri dish for things that otherwise you'd be able to to fight off. So health is one. Another huge one is your primary relationship with your, with your spouse. You, you know this, money is one of the top leading causes of divorce. So that's a giant one. And then tenuous relationships with your, your kids, your extended family, and even that even when you are there, you're not fully present because your mind is stuck on all the more that you need to do or be or accomplish. You know, and then the other one is I notice a feeling of lack of connection. And that may be with community, it may be with yourself. Because all that more, many of us, for a variety of reasons, have a hole in us. It's part of being human. And when we seek more indiscriminately to help fill that that hole, as opposed to some of the more loving elements of life, well, that hole does not get patched. Whenever I get too ingrained in my work and free time does pop up, my initial reaction is, I guess I could just do some more work. You forget about all those other lovely things in life to take advantage of that you just go back to more work. I have a question for you, Manisha. I know when somebody writes a book about something like this, it potentially could have affected their own personal life. So tell us how maybe you've struggled with the cult of never enough. Yeah, so I came to a realization as I approached 50 that I had pretty much effed up my life. I (laughs) started... At that point, I found myself extremely sick, and it was not the first time that I had had literally a near-death illness. The first one didn't teach me my lesson. The second one so stopped me in my tracks. I ended up having to take a nine-month medical leave and was bedridden for a huge chunk of that. And that really got me thinking, what on earth prompted me to get trapped on this 24 7 365 treadmill of never enough and and what i you know I, I had this this feeling that no matter how much i earned no matter how many accomplishments i achieved no matter how much praise i received it was just it was never enough and i wanted to understand what causes somebody to end up in this kind of place where you feel that you are being 
push to get more and living with a never enough mindset in a manner that creates toxic beliefs and behaviors around money, work, accomplishments. And so as I went on that exploration, it led me to a a mental framework that I thought, oh my gosh, I think this could help people of a lot of different income, ages, and professions avoid having to nearly die twice before they they realize that identifying a balance, and balance is probably the, the wrong word because nothing is ever really balanced in life, but I, identifying a framework that they can use to best utilize their scarce resources of time and money to maximize their joy. It sounds like those health scares were the moment that said, okay, I have to make a change or I'm not going to be able to make any more changes because I'm not going to be here. So what were some of the steps that you took personally to take yourself away from that never enough mindset? Well, before I answer that question, let me say one more thing about the, about the, the moment because it can often sound so crisp like, this light switch went off and I suddenly realized I was broken. But you know, my journey, there were, there were signs all along the way that I didn't listen to. I had lost connection first with all friends from high school, then with all friends from college, then with all friends from business school. Then I found when I was working, if I was in one corporation, I'd develop my closest relationships with colleagues. And then when I'd move to another company, I'd stay in touch with them via LinkedIn for a year, 18 months, and then they'd get dropped and I'd move on to the next one. And then I found I did the very same thing in my marriage. And I'm now very much divorced because I was not present. And when that happens, it can lead the other person to want to find somebody who is present. (laughs) And then I missed I mean, I look at my judgment calls and here's an example. It always makes me cry when I say it. So hopefully I won't cry this time, but I didn't go to my grandmother's funeral because this was my thought process. Gran is dead. She knows I loved her. I've got a bunch of really important meetings, so I'm not going to go. And it never occurred to me that funerals are about the survivors, being there for my mom, being there for my aunt, my cousins, So all of these toxic behaviors were going on. So it wasn't just like, I got sick and wham. But I was ignoring them all along the way. Thank you very much for for sharing those personal things. Because honestly, I think that that's when people truly learn when we have real examples of how focusing on one singular area in your life can really impact you overall. So once you started to go through those myriad of situations and maybe having some self-reflection, what steps did you take to make a change to move to where you are today? Well, interestingly, the one set of connections that I never lost were to my parents and my brother. And for quite some time, they have been saying to me, like, two decades plus, you're a workaholic. And finally, you know, they suggested, why don't you go to Workaholics Anonymous? And my immediate reaction to that was, are you kidding? Like, I don't have time to go to Workaholics Anonymous. Like, and and nobody who really suffers from workaholism would be at Workaholic Anonymous meetings because they too <laughs> would be, you know. And so uh, self-reflection 
sounds like a crisp process, but it's it's not. And, you know, I did all the things, you know, tried to meditate, tried to be mindful, tried to do yoga, tried to nature bathe and walk in grass in my bare feet. And finally, I realized this has got to be like a Rubik's Cube. There's got to be more factors in here. And so I've always loved reading about subjects that I don't have any expertise in. And so this led me down a road of examining the impact that personal small t traumas can have on your adult behavior. So for instance, lots of parents will be able to identify with this. I was bullied mercilessly in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You'd think all these years later that I'd be over that, but for a good two or three decades, that experience drove me to seek solace in my academics because my peers rejected me. I wasn't one of the cool kids. I was like the butt of all the jokes. And, but my, my teachers made me feel at home. And then you get into the workplace and what replaces grades and teachers, but money and promotions. And so, you know, that was one layer. And then, you know, I started to understand the cultural piece and how we've come, as Derek Thompson from The Atlantic says, to worship at the altar of workism. And then I started diving into the societal issues of just how much easy access to credit over the last 30 years has enabled us to live way beyond our means without us even realizing it, because it looks like we're just doing what our neighbors are doing. And then finally, how, you know, modern society has changed dramatically in the last 400 years, but our brains, not so much. And so there are some very raw, basic things that are going on with our biology that help take these factors to a whole new level if you have a toxic relationship with them. So that's where I, that's where I started with the root cause. And I am a huge fan of meditation and mindfulness and positive psychology and nature bathing. I believe in all of that. But what I found was that when you really hit that low point, those can only serve as band-aids. You've got to get at the root cause that's driving you to either feel it's never enough or that you always have to do more. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs 
Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's so powerful. And I think that it makes me think a lot about <laughs> for reasons I do anything in my life, they've come from somewhere, from my upbringing, from traumatic experiences, from positive experiences, just looking back and reflecting on that, maybe journaling on it, therapy, whatever works for you and your situation could be massively life-changing as it has been for you, Manisha, in this conversation that we're having today. You talk about a term in your book, emotional wealth. You know, we talk about financial wealth on the show quite a bit. Talk to us a little bit more about what emotional wealth means to you. So I think about it as a place where many of us have dramatically undervalued the return on investment that we get from identifying what emotional wealth means to us. I would say emotional wealth is when you are in a place of joy and happiness and you are feeling like you are growing and expanding as an individual and also having permission to take time where you do nothing productive and you're not growing, you're just goofing off. So emotional wealth to me is feeling like you have a rich life, metaphorically, not literally speaking. And I never consciously thought about putting my scarce resources of time and money in to invest in that bucket. And that's why when I hit the wall, I was in a place of financial health, but I was bankrupt on the emotional wealth side. And so that's how I see it. Now, you know, completely separate question is, how do you identify what it is to you, especially if you're starting from a bankrupt place? I encourage people to start off with one broad question. And I 
been asking people this for over a decade now, just in financial literacy workshops and so forth. If you woke up and somebody dropped $10 million after tax on your head and told you you had 10 years to live, what would you stop doing? And what would you start doing? And that is one of the starkest ways to start realizing what's nourishing your emotional wealth and what's depleting it. And then from there, you can dive deeper into journaling. I'm putting out a free journal that people can download from my website once the book comes out that can help you go deeper because there are lots of layers and questions to find that emotional wealth in the richness of the pain or the happiness of your experiences in in the past. So it is very reflective. But start with that simple 10 million, 10 years, see where that takes you. That's a very good way to think about it, especially like you said, after tax or take home or whatever, because always people's first response is like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to pay taxes on whatever, right, exactly. whatever you give me. So they, they, they get distracted and then they forget the whole exercise, the whole right. point of it. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. So you talk about filling up that bucket of emotional wealth. Financial wealth is also important. Do you think we need both of those in order to be happy or to find our money's end? So I have come, ironically, given that I've worked in the wealth management industry for a long time, to really dislike the term financial wealth. I prefer the term financial health. To me, that's being in a place where you are able to meet all of your immediate obligations comfortably. You have money set aside for a safety net. You feel good about what you're putting aside for the future, whatever that means to you, kids, college, education, retirement. The level of numbers associated with financial health are completely different for different people. There's no judgment. If your number, what you want to define financial health is a net worth in the seven digits, great. Eight digits, go for it. You know, if it's, you know, significantly lower, let's say you just want to cross over into a nice place in, in the low six digits. Wonderful. Financial health can exist anywhere if you're earning a living wage, which unfortunately far too many people in this country are not. And so that's how I define financial health, because what is the purpose of money, right? The purpose, it, it is a tool that we use to build and flow through our our life. You want a healthy tool. And so that's how we think about financial health, not a number anymore. It, to me, I think about it as a feeling. These are great words of wisdom. You know, somebody's listening and they're thinking, maybe where you were, Manisha, I don't think I'll ever be able to slow down with work or, or climbing the corporate ladder is just very important to me because life itself is very expensive. And I just have to keep working and keep climbing the corporate ladder. What would you say to that person? A, you are not alone. I cannot tell you how many people I know in how many different professions who feel exactly this way. And what I want people to, to know is that oftentimes that 
pressure can be eradicated with a combination of some financial surgery and some emotional surgery. And what I mean by that is questioning. I I love the word why. So pretty much anytime you have to go do something or you're adding something to your to-do list or you're buying something or or making any expenditure with your time or money, start asking yourself why, and not just once. Ask it three to five times to really get at the core. And once you start doing that, you suddenly realize, wait a minute, I've just identified some things that maybe I don't have to do. Maybe this juggling, you know, adulthood and parenting and maybe even elder care doesn't have to be as exhausting as I'm making it. Maybe I can give myself permission to achieve less. And I don't I don't mean being a sloth. I mean looking at that daily to-do list and achieving less by getting rid of all the busy stuff that doesn't really matter, not aligned with your values, your goals, and what you want for yourself and your family. I think that's fantastic. And as you're saying why over and over again, it reminds me of my kids when they were younger, you know, I was like, I'm super annoyed by it. But you know, (laughs) the more you answer that question, you're like, actually, you know, I don't know why we do that, son. Yeah. (laughs) So you can have the same conversation with yourself (laughs) on the daily activities and maybe not be as annoyed as you were with your children when they said that things, those things to you. (laughs) But well, Manisha, somebody's listening and they are ready. They are ready to escape the cult of never enough. What is one small step they could take following this interview? So when you're in the cult of never enough, generally speaking, you feel discombobulated. You've got anxiety. You just don't feel at peace. And one of the experts I interviewed was a director of a hypertension center. And she ultimately, after, you know, several decades of working there, came to have a mantra that she noticed the patients that ultimately became healthy seemed to embrace. And it was connection creates balance. What I'd encourage people to do is ask themselves the very next time they feel discombobulated, to whom or what do I need to connect to take a baby step forward towards feeling more joy? And for some people, it may be a pan of brownies. For some people, it may be a nap. For other people, it may be saying, you know what, I'm no longer going to be the den leader for Boy Scouts. Done with that. And the practice of that every time you feel discombobulated, asking to whom or what do I connect will often draw you more towards what fills your emotional wealth and often frees up leaky money so you can build your financial health. It's the freedom of considering less in every aspect of our life that could really provide us the freedom that we need to have that life that we want. Manisha, you have a great new book out there called Money Zen. Tell us about it and where people can get it. So it's called Money Zen, The Secret to Discovering You're Enough. And the it is probably the most raw and candid I have ever been in my professional life about my own journey. I I have just been at the surface in our conversation of the level of personal pain and anguish I went through on this journey and some amazing 
other individuals shared with me their journey, which is all journeys, which is also in the book. But it's a juxtaposition of these human stories with interdisciplinary research to explain how we got in this place. And then the book ends with a framework, a mental model, which I call financial health plus emotional wealth equals money zen. And the framework um, that that final part of the book helps you identify how you can maximize each of those pieces. And the book comes out on August the 8th. It's available in all the usual places that books are available. I have a really fun quiz. If you're thinking, hmm, do I fall into this bucket? You can go to moneyzenquiz.com. Otherwise, my book, me, my socials, everything else lives at moneyzen.com. Excellent. Well, Manisha, thank you so much for your time today. I honestly believe just by hearing you tell your story today that your book and your materials can save lives based on the trajectory of the way people are going in our country. I appreciate it, Manisha. Thank you so much. Andy, thank you for having me. I hope this conversation could be a wake-up call for a lot of us, including me. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Manisha Takor. Number one, workaholism can drain you. You heard Manisha. Overworking can cause major health problems. It can damage your marriage and it can really affect your relationships overall. The things that I just mentioned either literally keep us alive or they are the things that keep us happy. Purely recognizing the adverse effects of workaholism is the first step to improvement. Number two, make time to consider how you'll change. This is your life we're talking about here. If you're not happy with how it's going, and you're working too much, it's time to make a change. What steps can you take to pare back your work this week? Can you automate or delegate tasks that free up more of your time at work or in your small business? Are you in a toxic work environment where a never enough culture persists? Take some time to think about these things and decide on steps that you can take to get your time, your health, and your important relationships back. Number three, increase your emotional wealth. Remember fun? (laughs) Do you remember joy? Do you remember relaxation? Let's get that stuff back in our lives. As you start to find ways to decrease your work week responsibilities and the stress that comes along with it, you need to look for ways to fill that open time for quality relationships and activities that make you feel happy, that make you feel alive. This could be a turning point in your life, just like Manisha had, where you take control of your life and make it one you're excited about living. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram and Facebook and at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. Let's keep this conversation going. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing our show today, to Mandy Burt for her stellar writing, and to Weird Digital Marketing for their social media and podcast support. This content is not possible without these fine folks, so thank you all so much for supporting the show and making it happen. 
Hey, if you want to create some more connections with like-minded people who are on a mission to improve their family's finances, well, you should join us in our Thriving Families Facebook group. This is a free Facebook group focused on helping young families thrive. Each week, we ask our members to share some family financial wins they've had. And recently, group member Kyle shared this great news with us. He said, Getting in lots of family time on my 37-day mini retirement between jobs. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. A mini retirement. I've heard of this term, but I am so intrigued to learn more about it. Essentially, it sounds like he's saying, I got a job coming up and I'm not going to be starting right away. I'm going to be taking a nice almost 40-day break in between. This sounds like a perfect tactic to avoid burnout and to fight workaholism. Obviously. I think what I've done in the past is get a new job and then start right away on that Monday <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep working and making as much money as possible. But I really like Kyle's version, man. That is a good way to take a little breather in between your work situations and really kind of maybe assess what your next steps will be. I think this is great. I think this is fun for people to think about too. What would you do on a 37-day mini retirement? You don't have to worry about work at all for over a month. What would you do? What would you do with your time? It's really fun to think about. And thank you, Kyle, for helping us with this fun thought experiment. I hope your 37-day mini retirement is incredible and you get some great family time in as well. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Kyle for sharing with us? All right, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for leading us with some great news. If you're looking to make some connections with like-minded people who are on a mission to improve their family's finances, well, you should check us out in our free Thriving Families Facebook community. You can go to marriagekidsmoney.com slash community. That is marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Kieran Betty. The focus is what is right before you to give it your best. It sows the seeds of tomorrow. Take a hold of your tomorrow today, my friends. Carpe diem. 